This is another damn sports podcast. Fresh off of two terrible golf rounds, Money Mike and I are back to talk week two and week three of the NFL season. Both of our teams suck. The Buffalo Bills are pretty good, especially at defense. Mike, how are you feeling about your New York Giants? I know it was a little frustrating Thursday night for you. I have to say, you know, I think uh, our listeners are very lucky. Um, they're not going to hear me uh, on a Friday after that Thursday night game, the way I was feeling, uh, been able to calm down. Realized that uh, the trajectory of my life uh, was going to be the same, no matter what the outcome of that game was on Thursday night. <laughs> but I have great family, friends, uh, you know, had to take some time. No, it was, uh, it was a, that was, you know, a, a terrible, that was a terrible loss to take because the Giants, you know, had played so well for most of it, uh, made some really dumb mistakes that really built up along the way. Uh, Slayton dropping that wide open touchdown pass was just a killer. Uh, the offsides call on a missed field goal attempt was a killer. Uh, the non-holding call that was called against them on Daniel Jones's touchdown run was a killer. Um, and then, of course, some undisciplinary mistakes by the Giants that backed up drives and put them out of field goal range or just made their life harder. Uh, all in all, it was just a frustrating frustrating loss because, um, you know, the Giants are a team that needs every win they can get. And when they give away a game that they could have won, it's frustrating. All right. Well, Money Mike, I guess we all know how he feels. And we kind of knew how he was going to feel after uh... – a very disappointing loss like that. I mean, Mike, let's, let's just be real here. I mean, I know it's very frustrating, but even if the Giants did eke out that win, how would you have been feeling about the Giants' prospects going forward? You know, I, if they had won that game, I would have been really upset with a lot of the mistakes that they had made. But if they had squeaked it out, at least, I would say, okay, we lost to Denver, who was probably going to give every team in our division a hard time. Uh, but we were 1-0 in the division. And based on how Dallas and Philadelphia played this weekend – uh, we would have been tied for first in the division. And in this division, everyone counts because everybody in the division is not that great. So I would feel much better about where we are in the division. Now we're 0-1 against a team that we typically beat in the division uh, because I think the Giants are uh, going to struggle this year against Dallas, how Dallas has looked. And Philadelphia always gives uh, New York a hard time, no matter if the Giants are 12-4 and and Philadelphia is 9-7. and Philadelphia can still beat the Giants in, that, in those situations. Or even if Philadelphia was like 3-13 and 13 and we were 10-6, and six, they could still beat us. So um, uh, it's frustrating. It definitely is frustrating. I, I would have felt a little bit better about the positioning. Again, look, I am not expecting anything from the New York Giants this year in terms of postseason. I said the best they could do is just make the playoffs just by winning the bad division. So I think they're going to win the division by being one of the top-tier teams in the NFC. I'm not expecting that. But again, when you're a fan of a team, you and you, oh, sorry, got a notification. Money, Mike, uh, so unprofessional, you son of a I bitch. know, I know. Uh, when you're, you know, when you're a fan of a team, you want to see them do well, and and uh, you know, you don't want to see them finding a way to lose a game. That's just what the Giants have been. So it was that was just a little bit of a frustration. That's all. Well, at least you guys were in a close game. The yeah. Jacksonville Jaguars are looking just as bad, if not worse, than they looked last year. Uh, I am getting incredibly frustrated with how. Um, the Jaguars seem to just never get any better other than the one season of success we've had. It's just, it, it, I, I feel like with more years of like this compiling in my years of fandom, it's just going to get worse and worse, but Hey, I'm a Jaguars fan for life. So I guess I just got to keep watching and keep getting frustrated. It's just something I do. Trevor Lawrence, he's, uh, the biggest issue with him right now is he is forcing the ball down the field when he doesn't need to. Um, you could ask Zach Novak. He was over at my place the day that we watched the game and he would constantly hear me say, just run the ball, take the short throw. Like he, he needs to just not try to play hero ball every single time he's in the pocket because he, he was so used to that in college where guys were a lot more open down the field and he could just chuck it down and it, he can use his accuracy to, to uh, reach his receivers. But right now, but now in the NFL, man, you, you can't do that too much. Like you have to, fit the ball into tight windows 30, 40 yards down the field consistently, that's difficult. So just take the easy play, use your legs, you're athletic, take the easy throws, but he's not doing that right now. I know. I, it was, uh, it, it's, it's surprising to see him having the kind of 
not uh, not misfortune because again he he was drafted to the team that has the number one overall pick and you know when you're the number one overall pick team it means you earned it and uh you know i'm just surprised to see this stat 14 for 33 14 for 33 that's not even close to a good percentage for completions now to be fair the, the denver defense very good very good. Very good. No, they're absolutely very good. I saw them firsthand against the Giants last week. They're very good. I can attest to that. But these are, you know, a QB rating of 37.2 and a QBR, which is, it, it, you know, is a st- statistic ESPN came out with that measures all measures of a quarterback's play from a scale of one to 100. Um, and he was a QBR of 30.7. Yeah. Uh, Terrible. I mean, and he's thrown five interceptions in his first two games as a pro. Um same as Zach Wilson, the top two quarterbacks right now uh, from last year's drive class, both are struggling. But again, take it with this. They were drafted on bad teams. You know, if, if Trevor Lawrence was drafted by the San Francisco 49ers right now, he probably would be playing a little bit better because he'd have better pieces around him. The defense would put him in better positions. Um, I just think, you know, right now, the Jaguars just have to be patient. He's going to get better. He has the ability to get better. And, you know, I think I've mentioned this before, but you got to keep in mind, Peyton Manning went three and 13, his first year with the Colts. And then the following year, they went 13 and three. Right. I'm not saying he's Peyton Manning, but you know, with somebody like Trevor Lawrence, with the experience in Cal, the experience of success that he's had playing in big ball games, playing, um, you know, uh, at the highest level, at the highest level in college, you got to give him some time in the NFL. He's going, I, I, I trust that he's going to figure it out for you guys. I really do. Yeah, no, I definitely have not lost confidence in the fact that he is definitely our guy, and I think he's going to get a lot better. It's just, it's very frustrating to just see how bad the roster is around him, too. And Urban Meyer has done a terrible job coaching this team so far. I know it's only been two games. This is a complete overreaction. Obviously, they could still turn it around. Uh, Trevor Lawrence could just completely blow everybody away next week, and then we can just all switch our tune on him completely but urban meyer my god like the fact that he's making trevor lawrence throw this much and not use james robinson james robinson who was our best piece last year he's basically just ignoring the dude and he's just having trevor lawrence throw 50 times a game and it's really it just completely throwing our offense completely out of whack completely out of rhythm and it just doesn't make any sense to me but who knows it's only been two weeks i'm not gonna go too far into it and uh maybe we should uh Talk about something positive with the Buffalo Bills defeating the Miami Dolphins 35-0, to zero, Mike. 35 nothing. Yeah, the, uh, the Bills looked pretty good. I think anybody who had any doubt about the Bills after their week one loss to the Pittsburgh Steelers got to feel pretty good about the way they bounced back. I mean, I know that some points that people were kind of frustrated with the offense, like Josh Allen didn't look the sharpest out there um, in this game, but hey, Still was able to uh, throw for 179 yards, was able to rush for 35, got a touchdown. Um, not his best game for sure, but, you know, it was a 35 nothing game. I probably um, – you just got to take it away if you're a Bills fan. It was a good response, especially by the defense, um, and to make a statement like that to shut a team out like Miami, who's going to be pretty good this year. Um, overall, I, I, I think that that was a good game for the Bills to win the way that they did, to bounce back. And they've got uh, a team that's not very good coming to Buffalo next week in Washington. So, overall, a good Buffalo Bills win to get them back on track. The feeling around Buffalo and with the few people that I've talked to about the game is it, it, this was probably like the ugliest 35-0 to zero win you'll ever see in terms of how the offense played. I mean, obviously, it was really nice to see the Buffalo Bills finally have the semblance of a run game. Uh, two huge runs, four touchdowns from Zach Moss and Devin Devin Singletary. Um, so that must had to have been encouraging for uh, Buffalo Bills fans to see. And obviously the defense showed up, man. I mean, it was, I mean, it was definitely rough to see Tua get injured so early on in the game, because obviously from that point, you kind of knew the bills were going to win yeah. as good of a backup as Jacoby Brissett is like he, he was just getting slaughtered behind that offensive line uh, against the bills. And they were just generating pressure, constantly forcing turnovers, forcing, uh, turnovers on downs. Uh, it, the fact that the Dolphins weren't able to put up a point was shocking because it's not like they were stuck on their own side of the field the whole time. It's just that it, it was just not working out for them for them to try and force touchdowns to happen as opposed to taking points at any point in the game. And uh, it, was, it was a very impressive showing from the Bills defense. If they could play like this throughout the entire season, I mean, shit, you don't even need Josh Allen to play that great. If uh, 
if uh, they're playing like this. So we'll see how it goes uh, for the weeks moving forward. I'm excited for Bill's Mafia, the only team of the teams on this podcast that has any positive spin surrounding them. So uh, huge for them. Uh, as, as you mentioned before, the Buffalo Bills will be playing against the Washington football team this weekend. Mike, how do you think that's going to go? Buffalo wins. Easy. It's going to be an easy win for them. Yeah, I, th- I think that the Bills defense is much, much better than the Giants defense um, and is much better than the Chargers defense, um, which is who Washington has seen so far. So I think that the Bills, it's going to be a, a loud house in Buffalo. They're really aching to see their team win in person for the first time. Uh, since they, the few fans that got to go to the playoff game against the Colts and the, and the Ravens, this is the first regular season home game that they're going to win in two years because of COVID. So I think that place is going to be electric. I think it's going to explode because I feel like they're going to be able to um, move the ball well against this Washington football team. I know that their defense, like their defensive line is elite, but I mean, the Giants were able to move the ball pretty well against this secondary. All right, the Giants are not by any means a elite offense. So <laughs> uh, I, I think that the Bills will find success. I think that they, you know, have a few games in a row here that are going to be good for them. They have Washington at home, then they have Houston at home, who is better than what people thought, but I think, still think that it's going to be a pretty easy win for the Bills. And then they have to go to Kansas City. But Kansas City, again, is not looking like this dominant team that you should be super afraid of because they can't stop the run. I mean, Kansas City cannot stop the run. Their so, defense is looking rough. Their defense is not good. So that's a game where I think that the Bills – I feel much better about that game now, seeing a couple games in, than I did probably before the season started. Uh, that'll be a Sunday night game on October 10th. And uh, then they play Tennessee, who, again, doesn't look as good as, you know, I thought they were going to be. They did get a, a great win in, in Seattle, but – I feel like they kind of got some help with the officiating, but that's just me. <laughs> and then the Bills go into their later. bye week. And then the Bills go into their bye week. So, yeah. you know, I, 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 I feel really good about where the Bills are at. And I said I this remember. last week. I said this last week. I was like, if you guys can beat Miami in a convincing fashion next week, a team that everybody is saying is at least a playoff contender, then all of the bad feelings from that Steelers game are completely gone. And that's how you and I are both feeling right now. So, it also goes back to the fact that I said that week one doesn't mean much, especially if you are a good team. Even if you lose week one, there's still a lot of football left to be played. Now, in terms of the Jaguars, seeing as we're going backwards through our teams to go over the uh, the following week, uh, Jaguars are about to get freaking smoked oh. next week against the Arizona Cardinals. Kyler Murray is about to, Kyler Murray is going to run for 200 yards and throw for 500. Like that, that is my prediction here. So, Mike, I don't know if you feel the same way. I think if you're a betting man, you should take the over in this game because it'll be all Cardinals and they're going to just pour it on. I think it's going to be a high scoring game. Um, it, it, maybe this will be a game where Trevor Lawrence can figure out uh, how to put up some points. But again, you got Chandler Jones over there for the Arizona Cardinals and he's looking to pass Michael Strahan's sack record. Uh, so, and, and, and the Jags do not have a good offensive line. So, so it's going to be, it's going to be an ugly one. I mean, the Vikings put up a bunch of points against them, but the Vikings are, I think are a much more efficient offense than, than Jacksonville. So it, it's going to be rough. It's going to be a rough day for you, but you know what going in, it's going to be probably, it, it, it's probably, it hurts to watch your team lose no matter how they lose, but it's probably easier to watch them, uh, watch them just get blown up because you accept the loss earlier on what, versus if it's like a close game throughout and you lose in a heartbreaking fashion. Am I wrong about that? No, I don't think you're wrong, especially with how uh, Minnesota fared this past weekend. Um, man, that was just brutal. Is there another franchise in the NFL that has experienced more kicking woes than the Vikings? I know the Bills had wide right, but that's just one thing. I feel like this has happened to the Vikings at least four times off the top of my head, if not more. Yeah, uh, there's the infamous 1999 NFC Championship game with Gary Anderson who owns a uh, fly fishing company in Canada. Um, and then there's the kick against the uh, Seahawks in the playoffs a few years ago. Can't even remember that kicker's name. It wasn't, it wasn't good. Yeah. Skip shot. Yeah. Didn't Dan Bailey miss one uh, over the so. last couple of years, like a, a big one in one of their big games. And then obviously this one, like, and I'm sure there's, there's more too. I just feel so bad for Steve. Like, like I just texted after that kick was missed, which cost me a fantasy matchup, by the way, because the stupid head coach that we have in this league. They had the Arizona head coach, and I would have won if they, they didn't win. Ooh. Still a little salty about that. 
but I just felt so bad for Steve and I texted him. I just said, bro, that's all I said to him. Cause I was like, I, I know exactly how you're feeling. I'm not even going to dive into it. I just feel so bad. Uh, what league is that? Cause that's not in our current league that we're in now. Is that just a different one on ESPN that you have? No, it's, it's with uh, Nick Padula. It's his, his league and it's with Kristen and Molly and, all those people. So I, 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 I hate the head coach feature. I always hated that. I, yeah. you know, it was so stupid. It was just so dumb, but yeah. Yeah. I, in my opinion, it was just, it felt like it was just a waste of a roster spot. Uh, we used to do the head coach uh, back in the day with the, uh, the Phoenix fantasy football league that we've been doing since 2011, man. Yeah. How crazy is I, that? We've been doing it for that long. I know. It's crazy. I remember, and I remember my first time playing fantasy football. It was the year after the Giants had won the Super Bowl, and I drafted Eli Manning to make a statement like, Eli's great. Oh, God, that was a mistake. He's a terrible <laughs> fantasy quarterback. <laughs> Money Mike knows his football has not experienced much fantasy success throughout his no. years. No. <laughs> I, I, so, my second year playing fantasy football, I won the championship, and that's – I'm basically like the New York Jets of fantasy football. I won a, a, a title early on in my history, and since then I've been mediocre or bad. <laughs> sorry you got that one chip that means you can just go down in history as winning a championship that's all any nba player wants these days so yeah. it doesn't matter how you I got have, it you got it i have i have more championships than charles barkley <laughs> there you go that's a that's a victory in itself but uh we'll move on to the giants real quick i know we talked about this a lot who do the giants have next week uh they're hosting the atlanta falcons the giants are a three-point favorite mostly because they're at home that's pretty much – it's basically an even call. They're both 0-2. Both aren't looking that great. Um, the Giants had a lot of highlight moments against Washington. They did. They just had a lot of really bad mistakes, which not only cost them the game, but, but those bad moments are the things that people are going to remember. But the person who's going to take the most criticism, unfairly, but he's going to take the most criticism because he's the quarterback, is Daniel Jones. Now, Daniel Jones played really good against Washington. Like he had a very, very good game, both on uh, both passing and on the ground. I mean, in PPR, he scored me 41 fantasy points. He's leading the team, obviously, in passing, but he's leading the team in rushing, too. And he was one of the rushing leaders for the entire league in week two, wow. not just in running back. Like he, he played a phenomenal game against Washington. And he should and, have had another touchdown if not for that stupid holding call. Oh, my God. I was so pissed at that. Oh, I was so horrible because that would have helped me in fantasy. I only lost by like 10 points. That would have been that would have been it. That would have been uh, it. Damn. That would have been it. So I'm just going to do a quick calculation here. Uh, let's see. So right now he's completing 63% of his passes. Well, 64 if you round up. Um, he has uh, 516 yards. He's throwing the ball about 7.5 yards on average per pass. Um, and he's a 96 quarterback rating. He's not the reason the Giants are 0-2. He oh, just, no, you guys need to get some sort of run game going, man. If you're saying that Daniel Jones is leading the team in rushing and you have Saquon Barkley, like that is a huge problem. Yeah, it, it's, it's, there are a number of things that have gone wrong. Um, our defense is not as good as, as we thought they were going to be. Their offensive line we knew would be bad, but they actually weren't too terrible against Washington. I mean, they were able to give Daniel Jones a pretty clean pocket in the second half, um, but they can't block for the run game for shit. I mean, the, the running game is non-existent for the New York Giants. I mean, you have a guy like Saquon Barkley in your backfield and you, he, can't, he can't run the ball. That's, that's not good. And the play calling has been hot and cold. I, I feel like when the Giants got that interception by Bradbury on the 20-yard line of Washington with two and a half minutes to go, that shouldn't be game over. The Giants were down. For those of you that don't remember, didn't watch. The Giants are down by two. Washington has the ball. They're going to try to run some clock. But they were still throwing the ball. And Heineke threw a bad pass, and Bradbury intercepted it. We're on the 20-yard line. Two minutes, 24 seconds. I think Washington had all three timeouts, and there's the two-minute warning. Jason Garrett called, run up the middle, run up the middle, 39 pass by Daniel Jones in a quick slant. Fourth down, we kick it. Don't even use, they don't even use all their timeouts. I don't even think they got it to the two-minute warning. It was just bad. Daniel Jones was playing so well. Why didn't you call more calls for him? to make a play. We couldn't run the ball. So why are you calling a run play? Like they played way too conservative in that moment. They didn't try to go close the game. They just played it safe. Like, okay, we're down by two. We're going to try to run some clock and we're going to kick this field goal just to take the lead. Well, guess what? That didn't work because we ended up losing the game. You've got to be more aggressive. So the Giants haven't been aggressive with play calling. They have been penalized a lot. And Joe Judge is supposed to be this disciplinary coach. So you would think that at least, his, and, and he, he stresses attention to detail, attention to detail. I really like Joe Judge, but 
this was on him, this, for this loss against Washington. I'm pinning it mostly on him because the Giants weren't disciplined and they weren't aggressive enough. And he has to be the guy who's, who you know, tells Jason Garrett, let's open it up and let's, let's do this. So I pin the loss. The, the first loss is just, you know, first game of the season. Denver was just a better team. I don't really pin that on anybody in particular, but at the second game I pin on Joe Judge. So this third game is make or break for the Giants. This is a team that they should beat. They're at home. They should win this game. I'm tempted. I, I would be tempted to pick them as my uh, uh, eliminator pick this week just to get them out of the way because it's a game they should win. But I just don't have enough faith to take that risk in week three. I just don't. A man doesn't so, believe in his team. You know, no, I, I mean, did I'll, that. I did I will, that week one. Come I, on, you got to do the same thing. <laughs> I will pick them to. I, I will pick them to win this week, but I'm not going to go on a limb and pick them in my eliminator pick. They just haven't shown me enough to put that kind of trust in them. Buddy Mike doesn't like to take risks, man. It's it's such a shame. You know, this is the time to do it. Atlanta looks fucking terrible, trash, absolutely. You're just trying trash to get me. To, you're you're just trying to get me to get a strike because you already have one against you. Yeah, because I picked my own damn team because I'm a homer. You either pick it for or against your home team. Like, so far you picked the Jags, and then you picked the Broncos who played the Jags. So, logically, this week, would your eliminator pick be the Cardinals? Uh, we'll have to wait and see. We have a couple topics to cover before we get to that point, right, Mike? All right. Fair enough. So, speaking of uh, teams like the Giants and the Jags, who are 0-2, there are five other 0-2 teams. The New York Jets, the Indianapolis Colts, the Detroit Lions, the Minnesota Vikings, and the team that my Giants are playing this weekend, the Atlanta Falcons. Drew, in your opinion, after two weeks, you've seen all these teams play. Who is the best of the 0-2 teams? Seriously, don't say the Jags just because they're your team. Who do you think is the best team in this bunch? The Vikings. The Vikings. I, the I legitimately think, I mean, most people think they should be 2-0 right now. Yeah. Um, I, Dalvin Cook has looked amazing. Uh, other than that very costly fumble in the first game, he has looked amazing. I love their receiver tandem of Thielen and Jefferson. Really, the only knock on this team is Kirk Cousins just, like, isn't astounding. You know, he, he's not, like, a dazzling quarterback. He's kind of boring. You know, he's not going to win you a game, but he's not going to lose you it either. But I, I truly do think the Vikings are the best 0-2 team. I know it's basically between them and the Colts, and you're probably going to say the Colts, but let's hear your pick. Oh, no, I was going to say Minnesota as well. I mean, what I'm most surprised by – is that whenever I've thought of the Vikings over the years since I've watched football is they're always known for being a good defensive team and they do not have a good defense this year. Again, they didn't have a good defense last year. And ever since Zimmer's taken over, that's what their, that's what their specialty has been running the football and having a good defense. And they have a good, their offense is really good. They have Dalvin cook. They've got Kirk Cousins. Who's not a bad quarterback. He's a good, you know, he can get the job done. Um, you know, he's hit or miss sometimes, but I think overall he's better than a lot of quarterbacks that are out there in the league that do have starting jobs and they've got a great wide receiver team, like you mentioned. So what, you know, they should have beat Cincinnati week one and they had their moments to beat the Cardinals in week two. They just couldn't finish the job in either game. 37 saw, yards, 37 yard field goal. Come on. <laughs> but, you, but you, you know, you saw what the bears defense was able to do to Cincinnati, you know, if, if the Vikings had had a, a semi-decent defense, they would have easily won that game. And unfortunately, they played a team like the Cardinals that is really good, but they had their chance, like you said, a 37-yard field goal, and you couldn't not get in. Are you kidding me? So I would say that the uh, the Minnesota Vikings would be the best right now from what I've seen. The Colts are a team that have the best – I would say of this group, the Colts have the best roster, um, but they have Carson Wentz who is – you know. He's as fragile as God. I mean, he breaks every year. I can't even think of a, a particular thing. He just, he just always breaks. Money Mike, in quotes, fragile as God. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. As God? Yeah, that's what you said. <laughs> well, he's just – no, that's not what I meant. I was trying to think of something. I was like, oh, God, I can't think of anything. He's just he, – he's just – fragile he breaks every year and you know what in a way it's kind of nice if he doesn't play a lot of games because if he doesn't play enough games the eagles don't get their pick from the colts so it would screw the eagles in a way which i would thoroughly enjoy um but they just they've also played two good teams to start their season i mean to start the season they played the la rams and the seattle seahawks both at home 
they lost two home games and that's never good to lose your first two home games of the season. But I, we had said um, when we did one of our preseason uh, podcasts that the Colts season is going to get off to a rough start, whether they had cards two months or not, their season starts off with Seattle, LA, and then at Tennessee, those are their first three games. That's a tough start. So I feel like they, their schedule opens up and that'll make them, you know, get some wins. That, that doesn't mean they're a better team than Minnesota because I think that Minnesota has a chance to win their division because the division does not look that good. No, no, it definitely doesn't. Um, so, leading to not that good. I know you were, you wanted to ask it with your next question. Who are the, who is the worst? Oh, and two team or, Oh no, you said two and O team. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Worst so, O and two so, so, team is the Jaguars. I will say that right now, but yeah, we can go to the two and O team. No, I, I think the worst O and two team is the New York jets, but that's just, you know, I, 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 I think that the, the Jaguars upside is much higher than the jets. Um, but the, the other, you know, we talked about who's the worst, um, the, who's the best O and two team. There's seven also two and O teams, uh, which includes the Raiders, the Broncos, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers with Tom Brady, the Carolina Panthers, the 49ers, the Rams, and the Arizona Cardinals drew of that group. Who, in your opinion, is the worst 2-0 team? Who's overrated? I mean, it's kind of – when you list off those teams, the, the obvious thoughts just from an overall perception of the team standpoint is the Raiders or the Panthers. But the Raiders have looked amazing. They have beaten some very, very good competition. Um, I, obviously, they beat the Broncos and the Steelers – or not the Broncos, the, uh, the Ravens and the Steelers. Uh, two very good teams, two teams that will be competing for a playoff spot. Um, then on the contrary, Denver has looked amazing, but they've played the two bad teams that we talk about on this podcast. So it's kind of hard to see um, how good they actually are, how good Teddy Two Gloves is going to actually play against some good teams. Um, and then the Panthers, obviously, when you have Sam Darnold at the helm, he's obviously still a question mark. But damn, Christian McCaffrey is that damn good. So, it, like, there's a reason they can see why all of these teams are 2-0. and And I think I'm going to say – I'm going to say the Panthers. And that's just because I just don't think they have as complete of a team and as good of a defense as Denver does. And then I, I just think the Raiders are playing out of their damn minds and they could beat anybody right now. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I, I was going to say the Panthers as well. Like you, you pointed out how the Broncos have played two bad teams, but – the, uh, the Denver Broncos have a good defense. They have a quarterback who doesn't turn the ball over a lot. So I think they're going to give a lot of teams trouble. I think that's their formula for success, and I think they're going to find it. They are in a tough division, though. It's going, the real test to see who Denver is is how do they play against the Raiders, how do they play against the Chargers, and how do they play against Kansas City. If they can hold their own in that division, I, I think they are well-deserving of the, the 2-0 record they have. Um, you know, Teams like the Rams, the Cardinals, the 49ers, and the Buccaneers are not even considered for this question. Um, <laughs> uh, the Raiders um, are good. They're, they're very good. The roster on paper is not great, um, but they won a heck of a game against the Ravens opening Monday Night Football uh, at home, and then they beat a Steelers team that had a pretty impressive week one win against a good Buffalo team in Buffalo. Um, so that's why I, the Panthers barely beat the Jets, who are not very good. Um, and they beat a Saints team that was missing eight coaches because of COVID. Eight coaches were out. Right. You know, uh, some, like, you know, water boy assistants had to uh, step up and coach the team, I think. And it's become obviously clear that Jameis Winston is still the same inconsistent guy that we saw all those years in Tampa Bay uh, right. with, with how he performed against the Panthers. Yeah, like people, I, I actually rolled my eyes when I was in the car listening to uh, Get Up uh, on ESPN on my mornings to work after, you know, the first few days they were like, oh, you know, now uh, Sean Payton has a quarterback who can throw the deep ball. He hasn't had that in years because Drew Brees was a great quarterback but didn't always throw the deep ball well the last few years because he was getting older, his arm wasn't as strong, whatever. But I'm sorry, I would take the Drew Brees leadership and consistency over James Winston being able to throw the ball down the field really far. <laughs> right. No, exactly. Like we, we have seen both the absolute high and the absolute low of the James Winston experience just in these first two weeks of the NFL season. So uh, it sounds like you and I are in agree agreement here. The worst two and O team, uh, the Carolina Panthers and the best O and two team, the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, Mike, why don't we move on to the next topic that you have teed up? 
here. No, and, and just a quick note on that: the Vikings and the Panthers play each other uh, October seventeenth, so we get to measure the two those two teams against each other. Right now, after first two weeks, they have opposite records. We'll see who's the better team on that day. Um, so uh, let's see. You know, we're seeing a lot of flags thrown the first two weeks, and some of them have been really ticky tack calls, um, but others have been just straight up like what um taunting now that's a very subjective penalty holding is holding uh pass interference is pass interference you would think um illegal man downfield i hate that penalty because you know there was a call on in the chargers and cowboys game where an offensive lineman was pushed forward by the defender and they called illegal man downfield on the chargers like what he was one yard ahead of the line of scrimmage. That's not him trying to go for a pass or anything. Like, that's just a stupid rule. Uh, I get the reason behind the rule, but it, you got to have, like, some kind of, like, better measure to it than that. That was pathetic. But taunting is a weird one because it's very subjective. Now, you have it, – it's okay if a team intercepts the ball and the entire team runs down the field and goes up to the monitor behind the wall in the end zone and they do some kind of little dance or something. Or players now are okay to do celebrations when they score. But when a DB – tips a pass incomplete stands up and goes, looks at the guy he was defending and goes, yeah, man, you're not, you're not getting that one. Oh, taunting. It's like, what? Come on. These guys put their blood, sweat, and tears into this game. It's a, a very emotional game. It's a very physical game. As long as they're not like saying something that's over the top, like if the ref doesn't hear some kind of like immature over the line insult, let them play. Let them play. Let them have fun, you know, because it, it makes it that much more. When, when a right, wide receiver gets taunted by a corner or the wide receiver being the guy who's taunting the corner, it just makes them go at each other harder and makes it more exciting for fans to watch. Again, as long as they're not doing something that's like, uh, like the Keenan Allen one where he actually went and found the guy, that was over the top. Okay, I get that. But like just like tipping a ball incomplete and just like going, yeah, man. And waving your arms, like, or waving your finger, like to Kembe Matumbo, like the, that stuff's fun. Let them play. If you're not going to allow that, don't allow the stupid uh, team touchdown celebrations. Cause that's way more over the top than a DB just shaking his finger in a guy's face. Mike, but what about the children? Oh God. <laughs> Uh, oh, you know, man. children's attention spans these days are so horrible that they're not going to remember these things it's not no, going to no. leave some kind of impression on them right no exactly it, i 100 percent agree with you i just i think it's a little too much they're trying to control uh, the perception of the nfl a little too much um yeah but overall i know that the narrative is that the officiating across the board in the nfl has been pretty rough over these first couple of weeks i know the giants have been the recipients of that and uh yeah i feel like this is a pretty common thread that's been happening over the past few years in the nfl with all of these rule changes all of these different uh decisions on how the refs are able to just completely impact the game on one single judgment call that could be just driven completely off of emotion uh and then obviously with the fans having the access to all of the replays all of the uh just being able to see things that the refs aren't actually able to see uh, that's just a recipe for fans to just be like, oh my God, this ref is terrible. Mm -hmm. And in a way, I kind of feel bad for the guys, you know, like they're kind of limited in what they can see compared to what the people who are yelling at, yelling at them can see, but. And the gals, Drew, and the gals, there are female right. refs this year. You are right. You're right. I apologize. Don't leave them out. Yes. Don't be you're sexist. Right. You're, you are right. Um, but, uh, thanks Mike. You just completely derailed my thought. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, it, it even though uh, these refs are actually put at a pretty big disadvantage, it still just really sucks as a fan to yeah. see their decisions and their mistakes completely alter a game and potentially lose the game for your team. Yeah. I mean like the, the call on Dexter Lawrence where he lined up with the football and to the naked eye. Yeah. It looks like he jumps off sides and I can get why in real time they threw the flag. But if you watch it on replay, he moved with the football. Like he, he called the snap count perfectly. So the, that penalty should not have been called. And the, you know, the Washington football team missed that first field goal. So by that rule, the Giants should have won the game. Now, could have, would have, should have. They didn't win the game. They, they made so many mistakes to that point that it shouldn't have got to a point where they were just waiting on a field goal to see if they were going to win or lose. But still, that's not called as it should have been. Giants win the game. 
completely different story that we're talking about. Like, as you'd said, how would you have felt about your team if they were one and one? I'd feel much better if they were one and one versus oh and two. So it just, it, it's unfortunate. The, the, in the Chargers Cowboys game, they called some ticky tack fouls on the Chargers that took a few touchdowns back, and the Chargers only lost by three. So it had a huge impact on the result of that game. And again, that, I, I, that game sticks with me a little more than some of the others because that affects the Giants outcome. Because if, you know, the Giants, again, had won the game against Washington as they should and Dallas didn't win, then it's Philadelphia and New York at the top of the division at one and one. And then Dallas and Washington at 0 and two and Dallas and Washington were the teams that people thought were going to be the best of the division and Philadelphia and the Giants were going to be at the bottom. So I'd feel a really good position again. It's just, it's frustrating. You don't want to see an official or an official team um, declare the outcome of a game. You want the players to determine the outcome of the game. No, of course. I mean, this is uh, an issue across all sports. Um, I feel like this has just been a part of sports in general. It's just, Mm -hmm. it's part of the experience is to yell at the refs, say, oh, the refs suck. They don't know what they're doing. Oh, we're just going to blame it completely on the refs. Uh, So I don't think we're ever going to eradicate this issue ever. It's just, it does seem like these past couple of weeks, it has been a little bit worse than you would expect uh, the most popular sports organization in the country to have. Um, But uh, moving on to our picks. uh, I know we went over the picks for all of our teams. uh, Mike, if you want to run over those real quick. Yeah. So last week we both mirrored each other's picks. We both were uh, three and oh, so we were oh and three the first week, three and oh this week, we all picked favorites. So Drew and I are three and three going into this week. Um, Drew has one strike in the eliminator challenge. I have none. Uh-huh. Uh, you cannot pick the Jags or the Broncos this week. I cannot pick the 49ers or the Broncos myself. Uh, safe to assume uh, we're both picking the Cardinals to win. Uh, are we both taking the Bills? Or are you going to go for the Washington football team? I will be taking the Buffalo Bills. All right. And then the Giants and the Falcons. Giants are favored by three. I will take the New York football Giants. Drew, who do you got? I will also take the New York football Giants. We keep mirroring each other with these uh, – Big three picks, huh? Yeah, but here's what here's what scares the shit out of me. Okay, we whenever we have to on this podcast, in the history of this podcast, in the three years, whenever Drew and I make a pick on the Atlanta Falcons game, it's wrong. That's true. So, you know, <laughs> that's why logically I should that means oh, then you should pick the Falcons. Then Mike, well, no, I I I I just don't want to. No, I can't. This is probably the last game that you can easily pick the Giants to win on their schedule. You, you would think, but I thought that about the Washington game. So even though actually I did pick Washington, but in my work pool, I picked the Giants. And so that was, that was dumb. Uh, <laughs> uh, so Drew, last week you went first with your eliminator pick. I will go first this time. So people don't accuse me of uh, copying you. Like I said, I wanted to pick the Giants this week, but I just, I just can't do it. So for the eliminator pick this week, I'm going to pick. I'm going to go with the Arizona Cardinals over the Jags. It's just a safe, it's just, it is a very safe pick. Uh, I might pick a different one in my eliminator challenge uh, that I'm on, but uh, for the show, I will go with the Arizona Cardinals to keep my perfect record intact. Drew? You know what? That, that was going to be my pick, but I'm going to change <laughs> it now. I mean, just so I'm not copying you, I'm going to not be a bitch. And I'm going to take the New York Giants to beat the Atlanta Falcons this week. They are my lock. Let's go, baby. Two strikes, not happening. Uh, I, I hope to God that, that is true. Um, <laughs> I, 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 the other game I was considering, I, I thought about taking Dallas over Philadelphia. Okay, yeah. But I find division games hard to do at, the, at this point since we don't know who everybody is. So, um, like, there are a lot of tough matchups here. I mean, like, it, it, the Titans and the Colts, not an easy game to call. Maybe the Ravens and Lions was another one that was easier. And maybe that's the one I'll, I'll choose in uh, my other Eliminator Challenge. Um, no, Cleveland and the Bears, Giants. not. Uh, I, uh, <laughs> and that one, and, and that one, you don't get any strikes. It's just you lose right. one, you're out. So no, yeah. I'm not taking the Giants in that one. The you know, I, I've mirrored my picks on the show on that one so far. I picked you know, uh, I picked the 49ers week one. I picked the Broncos, but I might go with the. Uh, I'm either going to go with the Cardinals or I might go with the. Uh, the Ravens, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's uh, that's interesting. I'm the one that picks the Giants for my eliminator before you. Nobody would have thought. No, nobody would have thought that. I, I probably will save my Giants pick for maybe uh, – you only have to make eight uh, – what, 17 of these? Yeah. Or 18 of these. So, I don't have to pick the Giants <laughs> at all. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, there's a lot of teams that you can just leave off of the list. 
Yeah, I, I feel like the Jets, the Jags, and the Giants are a few teams that I don't need to pick at all, and they probably will stay that way. I'm a guy that likes to take risks, Mike. Come on. You know this about me. You know, Well, you know this about me. I don't really like to take chances, but, hey, where's that got me in life, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Money Mike, always full of self-confidence. Thank you guys so much for listening to another day of sports podcast. I really hope you guys enjoy week three of the NFL season. It has been a fun season so far, even though Money Mike and I have, ex- have experienced a lot of disappointment, a lot, probably a little bit more disappointment than we were expecting. Money Mike, do you have any parting words for our listeners? You know, this is our third season doing this show, and um, uh, we haven't had one season where either of our teams is any good because it was the year <laughs> after the Jags had their, their, uh, their, their playoff run, and the, the Giants obviously haven't done anything in 10 years. Uh, so <laughs> We have wasted a lot of people's time. Well, you know, I always appreciate the support. And I, I, I will say what was really fun about last year was that I was this big doubter on the Buffalo Bills. And I always got so much hate about like, why don't you ever pick the Bills? <laughs> why don't you ever believe in the Bills? And of course, I started believing the Bills uh, week one and they lose. You know, what does that tell you? But yeah, no, I, I think we might need you to start hating again. Maybe, maybe, but I, I don't know. I, I feel good about, I feel good about them against the Washington football team. And I know that we know some folks that'll be at that game. So I hope you guys have fun. Um, and uh, I will have to uh, find a way to watch the Giants game because here in Syracuse, it'll be Washington and Buffalo on Fox and Pittsburgh and the Bengals on CBS at one o'clock. So I have to figure out a way to uh, watch the Giants. That's so dumb. Pittsburgh and Cincinnati over the Giants. Well, start, I know it's because well, it's well, CBS's AFC. Yeah, I get what well, saying. yeah, well, it's also because Fox is covering the Bills game and the Giants game. And just out in this area, if the Bills sure. and Giants are on the same thing, the Bills do get precedent because we are closer to Buffalo than New York. We're, yeah. That's the way it works, unfortunately. But um, I have to figure out a way. I wish I had Sunday NFL take. I do have red zone, so I'll be able to watch them on red zone for when they score. Uh, but knowing the Giants, they don't always uh, consistently score every single week. So <laughs> you'll see them come on for a punt. Randomly. Oh, God. Because oh, that'll be the only game on. Every other game will be at commercial or halftime. <laughs> <laughs> That's just so true. That's so true. But, yeah, no, I, I um, I, again, I, I feel good about Buffalo's chances. I do not feel good about the Giants or the Jags. And I hope to God I, – I, I hope that people aren't out there rooting for the Giants to lose in terms of Giant fans for, like, you know, to get off of Dan- – uh, Daniel Jones is not the problem. He's not great – I'm not somebody who's blind to the fact that Dan Jones is not a great quarterback, but he's not, he's not terrible. And he's not uh, worse than any of these quarterbacks that are coming in this next draft class. I, I, I saw something on Twitter where somebody had said, if you're a Giants fan rooting for the Giants to lose, you're an idiot because the quarterbacks coming up in this draft are not better than Daniel Jones. Like this past year, there were a lot of great quarterbacks to choose from. Uh, if the Giants had been bad, uh, and didn't believe in Daniel Jones. Like if Daniel Jones had already been in the league for three, four years, and he was still not good, and we weren't winning, then it would be a time to replace him. And this quarterback class would have been a great one to replace him with. But this upcoming class is not that great. So, getting a great draft pick is not a big win for the Giants right now. As if you're thinking they're going to get a quarterback, because they're probably not going to go for one right now. But I will say this also, um, uh, Sean, if you're listening, I typically don't hate on the Bears, but I have to this year. I have to this year. I have to root for the Bears to lose every single game like they're the Cowboys or the Eagles because the worse they are, the better it is for the Giants because they will have a higher draft pick as a result because when they traded for uh, to move up in the draft last year to get Justin Fields, they gave the Giants their first-round draft pick for next season. So if the Bears are terrible and the Giants are still bad, they'll have two draft picks in the top ten. So sorry, Sean. I got to root against Chicago every single week. This is an anti-Bears podcast. This is another damn sports podcast. Money Mike, thank you so much for all of the wonderful work you do on this podcast every single week. I don't say that enough, but you are the one that carries the show, and I hope you enjoy the third week of the NFL season. What can I say? I'm awesome. The fight clock is brought to you by Modelo. UFC 266. Uh, the next UFC card is coming up this Saturday, and who better to bring on the podcast 
than my friends Steve Spencer and Nadeep Taylor. You guys have heard these guys on the podcast before to talk all of the big fights, and we got a few big ones on this card. Steve, how are we doing, my friend? Living the dream, Andrew. How are you? I am also living the dream, and Nadeef, after all these technical difficulties, are you feeling good? Ready to go? Oh, man, it was well worth it. Hey, I love the energy. Always love the energy that you two bring, which is why I bring you guys back for every single big fight in the UFC. Obviously, nowadays, there's a fight every single weekend, so we can't bring you guys on every week, but it's always a special occasion when we can talk about fighters like Alexander Volkanovsky and Brian Ortega main eventing this card uh, for the championship following their stint on the renewed ultimate fighter. Uh, did you guys get a chance to watch that? I watched the like first four episodes. Um, then it kind of ran stale for me, but I, I did watch the finale. And that if you said you watched it. Oh yeah. Well, I addicted. Watch the whole thing through. <laughs> yeah. I've always loved myself. So my ultimate fighter, I, for me, I always enjoyed the older ones. It was, I think it's a little bit of a nostalgia feel seeing guys like Josh Koscheck and Chris Levin and Diego Sanchez and those guys. But uh, what did you think of the season? Was it interesting or what, was it really only for like the diehard fans to enjoy? Um, and more or less, if you, if you're a casual, you, you're, you can kind of watch like a few and then call it, uh, kind of sucked that Trey Sean didn't actually get it. That'd have been a little bit of more of a competitive, but, um, all in all, it was not a bad season at all. Hey, well, that's great. And hopefully, uh, the ending of the conflict between Volkanovsky and Ortega is a great one. I know you guys are excited for this card and. We're going to go over just the main card today because honestly, the main card seems very stacked. A lot of names that a lot of people are going to recognize here. Uh, first match on the card is Jessica Andrade versus Cynthia Cavillo. Steve, I'll have you start. How do you think this is going to go? Um, Cynthia Cavillo really shot for the stars when she called out Jessica Andrade. Jessica, I think, is ranked number one, and then Cynthia might be five or six. Um, I've seen all of Cynthia's fights in the UFC, and I'm really not sure what she's good at. She, she's very scrappy. I'll give her that, but she doesn't stand out in one area. Jessica Andrade, while I think is kind of overrated, possesses the power and the size in that division to, to beat a lot of girls at the top. And I think, I don't think she'll finish Cynthia, but I think she'll dominate to a decision with her grappling. I think she'll take her down at will and uh, ground and pound for three rounds. Yeah. Andrade definitely seems like the type of fighter that, other than when she runs into buzz saws like uh, Rose Namajunas and those types of fighters, like she seems to just dominate everyone else that is put in front of her. Nadif, do you feel that this is going to go the same way that Steve thinks, or do you have other? I think it's ideas? supposed to, but it's not going to. Um, in all honesty, I mean, looking at both of them, Andrade is exactly like Steve said. She's a little overrated. She just goes forward, has okay striking, but it, it's a little overrated. She has okay wrestling, but she just does everything the technique. But Calvillo is not the greatest either. Like, she kind of predicates herself on her wrestling. Um, so I, I do see a path for Calvillo. Uh, I think her striking is a little pedestrian. But if she has Andrade, I've seen Andrade on the ground, like, twice. And she had nothing to offer. So if she could find, somehow, get that fight to the ground, Calvillo can hold her down. Um, i pick Andrade to win. Uh, but if I was, like, betting it, I'd probably uh, take Calvillo, in all honesty. It'd be too big of a sweat. Right, speaking of bets, uh, our friend Nadif here has his own podcast, Stats and Stacks. We'll uh, cover all of that after we go through the card and see who he thinks is going to be uh, the best fight or the best parlay to throw out there and win some money. But uh, we'll move on to the fourth fight on the card, Curtis Blades versus Jarzinho Rosenstruck. Uh, heavyweight bout between these two, two uh, hard hitters. Rosenstruck is definitely a very scary striker. Steve, how do you think this is going to go? In my opinion, these are the two most boring fighters in the heavyweight division. Um, <laughs> wow, Jarzinho... way to just completely undersell what I just said. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing with Jarzinho is he either knocks you out in the first round or he doesn't throw. And he'll just stand there and he, he will not throw at all for the whole three or five rounds, however long it goes. And then Curtis Blades, you know what he wants to do. He wants to press forward and just get the takedown like his life depends on it. And with the takedown threat being there the whole fight, I don't think Jarzino is going to throw. And I think Curtis Blades is going to take him down for three rounds and win a decision. Nadif, what do you think? Did Steve's hitting the nail on the head. When he says, when he says Rosenstruck doesn't throw, 
Um, I keep rows on average about 3.85 significant strikes per minute. Uh, and in the return, he's getting hit about 3.27% of the time. So he barely throws anything. Um, he's pretty boring. Blades has zero chin whatsoever. So it's only going to take one to put Blades out. Um, if he takes him down, I've seen Overeem ground and pound Rosenstruck. is going to finish it on the ground when he gets it down there. All right, quick and easy decisions by these guys. Uh, sounds like they're not very excited for this fight. Probably the least exciting fight on the card for them. But I believe that the next fight is actually the most exciting fight on this card, especially for Steve Spencer smiling and <laughs> nodding his head right now. The world's biggest Diaz brother fan. Nick Diaz makes his return after so many years of being outside of the octagon to face Robbie Lawler in a rematch from their match. What, what year was their original match? 2001, 2002? Four, 2004. Okay, so it's still a long time ago. Yeah. Like the amount of fights and wars that both of these guys have been in since then. Uh, two completely different fighters going to be stepping into the octagon. Nadif, how do you feel this one is going to go for the return of Nick Diaz? I'm torn, man. In all honesty, I think it's lined perfectly. The, the betting odds have it as a pick them. And honestly, I'm having troubles figuring out who's going to win. Um, I mean, in Diaz should win. He has the better striking, better ground game. One of them wrestled to save their lives. And Lawler gets hit more than he dishes out um, per his UFC metrics. So the you should lean Diaz, but six years off is no joke. Not everyone is Dom Cruz and just can come out and championships. I, I've seen Ring Rust be a factor. God, I, I'm go. I'm so torn on this. Uh, I'm going to do whatever you guys say on this one. On on paper, I can't do six years off. So Andy's 38 years old. So I'll have to take Lawler, who actually is 39. <laughs> he's like 39, yeah. Jeez. Older, but he's active. He's only losing to the best. I mean, Colby, RDA, uh, Burt Burns. Meanwhile, we haven't seen Nick in six years. So I'll unfortunately have to go Robbie. Steve, your boy is looking a little unimpressive in this picture on the, the UFC website. My God, he's looking skinny, not really looking very toned. I know he's been running a lot of uh, triathlons, right? I believe he's, he's still been staying in shape throughout all these years being outside the octagon. How do you think your boy is going to fare this weekend? So I think you misspoke at the start of the podcast when you said that Volkanovski and Ortega were main eventing. This is the fucking main event. Oh, man, my, my, my man's like... <laughs> Yep, Nick Diaz coming off of six years from his last fight, was suspended five years from marijuana. Um, I think he kind of lost himself in those six years. I think he was partying a lot. He honestly kind of got fat, and I was a little worried to see him fight. Um, but this is absolutely perfect matchmaking. There's a backstory there. They fought 17 years ago. While Nick hasn't been active in six years, Robbie hasn't been the most active either. Um once he lost the title to Tyron Woodley, he's averaged like one fight every one or two years. So this is perfect matchmaking. Based on what I've seen from Nick on the countdown, he's talking very clear. Usually Nick kind of goes on tangents and slurs his words. And when I saw Nick talk clear, that's when I made a hundred dollar parlay on Nick. So I am all in. <laughs> oh my God. I am all in on Nick Diaz. Five rounds favors him. Let's fucking go. Jesus. The man is able to just put sentences together. That's all he needs to do with Steve Spencer's backing. That's it. That's amazing. Um, I will have to side with Nadif here. I honestly am going to be very surprised if Diaz wins this fight. Robbie Lawler has obviously been a contender for a very long time. Like you said, he's been a little bit less active as of late, but I mean, shit, he's old. So I, I totally get it. Um, but no, this one, this is very exciting. I was very surprised to hear when this fight was made that Nick Diaz was actually going to come back. I don't think, I didn't think he ever was going to come back um, with that much time off, but we'll move into the uh, co-main event, Valentina Shevchenko versus her next victim, Lauren Murphy. Uh, let me know if you guys think otherwise, Nadif, I'll start with you. I mean, as previously mentioned, I am so happy that Lauren Murphy got her title shot. Um, unfortunately, it's probably going to be her last fight in the UFC. Because uh, Valentina might go to jail for murder. It's not fair, in all honesty. I mean, I was trying to find some way she's better. Valentina is a Muay Thai striker. And I watched Lauren Murphy struggle and get a split decision with JoJo Calderwood, 
who is a Muay Thai striker. If you're comparing Valentina to JoJo Calderwood, we're in a, a world of hurt. Valentina is a better wrestler than Lauren. Um, Lauren only averages about 17% of her takedown. She's not a wrestler. She has not a, a sneaky ground game, but Valentina's nasty there too. Like it's, dude, she's more than quintuple better than Lauren at every <laughs> facet of the game. So um, I, I, Lauren's old. She'll be able to tell her children that she got a title shot and fought one of the goats, but it's probably going to be her last fight. My God, just throwing Lauren Murphy into the dish and just burying her alive. Nadif, no remorse. No, I feel bad for her. It's a great story, though. <laughs> Steve, do you agree? Yeah, I mean, how can you not? There's, <laughs> there's really nothing else to say. <laughs> Valentina is just leaps and bounds ahead of everyone in that division. Um, and she's going to finish Lauren Murphy. I think probably the third round. She's She's lately been getting finishes with the crucifix, and I think that streak will continue. I think she'll pound her out. And that's how you know you're just so much better than who you're fighting is if you get them in a crucifix position. Because uh, like, <laughs> that is the, probably the most compromising position in mixed martial arts. Yeah. yeah. Right, like, what, she's not a wrestler. Right. Exactly. And what, what, breaks, <laughs> what comes to mind is uh, the first time we saw the crucifix in the UFC cage and I, I don't remember who was fighting but the guy that had the other guy in the crucifix was just raining elbows on the dude's face yeah mm. such a scary position to think of um but in terms of position uh alexander volkanovsky is in a great position after defeating max holloway twice uh in his past couple fights and moving on finally to his first challenger not named max holloway brian ortega who his only loss in his uh career is to max holloway um, how do you guys feel this fight is going to go for the featherweight uh, title? Uh, sorry, we'll start with Nadeep, sorry. <laughs> um, so, honestly, initially, um, I was leaning with T-City um, for a long time. But then I went back and I did fate, fight tape. And your mind tells you one thing that your eyes aren't telling you when you actually watch them fight. In all honesty, Ortega is definitely head and shoulders better on the ground. Um, the striking, I'd actually say, is pro close to 50-50, but Ortega's striking is not as good as you think. You just think about him dropping Korean Zombie over and over again. But then I looked at it, and I mean, Ortega was losing to Clay Guida and had to come back and win. He was losing to, God, I don't even remember his name. Um, he just doesn't have a good, he has a lot of wins where he had to come from behind. And I just don't see that happening with uh, Volkanovski. Um, Renato Moicano, he was losing and had to come from behind. Um, really, be, outside of that, his wins, he beat Clay Guida where he came from behind, Moicano, Diego Brandao. Uh, old come Swanson, and then he knocked out uh, Chinny Frankie Yeager. Like, it's not like he had the toughest road to the title. Um, so, in all honesty, I think Volk's being disrespected. And I, I actually flipped, and I'm actually on Team Volk uh, for the title fight. Hey, that's fair. If you're able to beat a guy like Max Holloway twice, like, he, you're obviously one of the best fighters in the world easily. Uh, Steve, how do you feel about this fight? I do think Volkanovski gets disrespected, um, especially after the second fight with Holloway. A lot of people thought Max won, myself included, but I definitely thought he won the first fight and the second was competitive. So, and no one gives him any credit for those wins. Uh, as far as T-City goes, Nadif is right. There's a lot of wins where he had to dig deep and come from behind. But after the Max Holloway fight, where he just got absolutely battered by the greatest featherweight of all time, I feel like I watched an interview where he completely like changed his not his camp, but the people around him. And when he came back against Korean zombie one, he was bald. And there's a streak in the UFC where fighters that shave their head bald, they come back better and stronger. And he looked great against Korean zombie. And I think that change in scenery is going to help him a lot. And I included him on the hundred dollar parlay with Nick Diaz and I am going T city all day. Oh man. Look at this guy. Just throwing all <laughs> you know his dough down. Can I say something that might ruin your parade a little bit, Steve? Part of the uh, fight tape I do is actually looking and seeing how they are training. Um, so you can kind of just check out their Instagram, see like what they're training, how they're, oh, they look in great shape, right? Volk went bald. 
So if that's your, oh. <laughs> your reason, Volk is bold for this fight. So oh, no. a little bit of trouble. <laughs> well, maybe I'll bet the over-under. <laughs> Steve with this the completely destroyed take by Nadeep. Nadeep does his research, Steve. Oh, God. I know. Can't get anything past this guy. <laughs> who, else, who else falls in that category of fighters who are ended up being better bald? Rose Namajunas comes to mind, but who else? Rose Namajunas, <laughs> Ortega, Robbie Lawler. A, Robbie Lawler, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, hey, and but, the blonde hair. If you go bald or you dye your hair blonde, you win. I feel like we're probably missing like one huge one, but I can't think of, of it right now. But regardless, uh, this fight's going to be amazing. Uh, featherweight fights have been really good for a while now. Uh, after, if Volkanovski wins this, though, like, who's next? Is it him, Holloway 3? Like, 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 what do we do? I, I think they book the Holloway rematch until Holloway wins, and then they never do it again. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, Holloway has who? Yeah, your Rodriguez next. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then you just have people floating around like Giga and uh, Cater. Oh, God, KZ. Yeah, he hasn't fought Volkanovski yet, even though he just lost. Oh, Giga looked amazing in his last fight, though, against Barbosa. Yeah. I feel like they're going to do like a him versus zombie. Um, yeah. And then they'll, they'll probably do, if I were them, I'd probably do the Max trilogy if he beats Yair. And then you got you still have people floating around that everyone forgets, like Zabit. Where has he been? It's been like three years, dude. Where is it? He was like third ranked and he just disappeared. So like, he's like, nah, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I think I remember hearing though after the trilogy. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I remember hearing though with Zabit. I think it was that he just wasn't enjoying it anymore. I think that's I remember hearing I think Bezming might have said that on his podcast. And maybe that's what happened. Maybe he's just like, screw this, I don't want to do this anymore. And I get it. Fighting's hard. You know, <laughs> um, so uh, exciting card for uh, UFC 266 this Saturday. Uh, in terms of the podcast I mentioned before, Nadif, uh, why don't you plug your podcast and then give us your best picks for the weekend? Oh, absolutely. So what we do over at the Stats and Stacks podcast, we all, we like to give six bets. We like to find the two best totals, uh, round totals, the two best underdogs and the two best, uh, you know, the two locks of the night. Um, I'll tell you right now, they have Jalen Turner going against Euros Medic, and Jalen Turner is an underdog. I don't know if you remember Jalen Turner, but this dude is like six foot seven in the lightweight division. Like this dude is huge. Like no sarcasm. I really want to say he's about six foot four, six three. I can actually see it right here. He is. God, he's six foot three and makes lightweight. Like this That's dude, nuts. and he's built. He's massive. And the guy he's fighting, he's he's one of these undefeated fighters, but fought absolutely no one. Um, and I think him being the favorite is absolutely absurd. So that that is easy money. If you're trying to get paid, look at Jalen Turner. That's your All guy. Right. All right. Everybody listening, throw $500,000 on Jalen Turner and you will be a richer person for it. Steve? How are we uh, how are we feeling over there, man? You uh, you feeling good about this card? You excited? I'm super excited, and something to look out for on the prelims is the Dan Hooker fight. I can't pronounce the name of his opponent, but mm-hmm. anytime Dan Hooker fights, it's always a guaranteed banger. So that's true. Not, not you know what's crazy? Not, he's good, dude. He's underrated. He's he's young though. He's like one of these kids that are coming up. Uh, but you know, there's one thing I forgot to tell you that. Uh, the Diaz twins, you had like Robert Whitaker, where you have, um, what is that guy? Jacob Malkoon was on the card because Whitaker wanted his buddy on there. Um, yeah. You had Izzy had that one guy that's like a, a bachelor oh, in Australia. I forgot his name. He got knocked out by Kennedy. Um, there are some Diaz influences on this card. I mean, yeah. we have, I, uh, what's his name? It is Martin Sano. Martin, yeah, it's yeah. Martin Sano is on this card because he trains with the Diaz boys, and Nick Maximoff also yep. trains with the Diaz boys. In all honesty, fade both of them. They are ass. It's really bad. <laughs> they're really, really bad. <laughs> like they're really bad. But they got that Diaz clout. 
<laughs> I love that my dude was building these dudes up. He's like, fade both of them. They're ass. <laughs> they're they're not good. I'm t- just go. They, first of all, I made a I made a rule that I'll never bet on someone where you watch their fight tape and it's on Facebook. That's a red flag. <laughs> if you have to watch fight tape on Facebook, this dude, I'm telling you, what which one was that? That was Nick, and he's fighting Carl Roberson. Like, come on, man. Oh boy, come yeah. on. Well, I, as you. As everybody's listening to these picks, like, is this where the money is? Is these unknown guys? And if you can just get a leg up in these scenarios, because maybe Vegas isn't as accurate with their odds here, and that's where you can make the most money. Is that how it works? Yeah. Un- uh, the guys I love to target are undefeated. Um, so this Nick kid um, that's on Facebook, he's six and zero, but all the guys, you have to see who they're fighting. Like, the guys he's fighting are like, your third grade gym teacher like it's not and he and he doesn't look the best and even this other guy matt sano he's four and two and one he's four two and one coming off a loss in bellator and he has a title and he has a uh sorry a ufc fight like <laughs> what why is it <laughs> why is this guy here so yeah the best are undefeated that fought nobody it's a vegas trap and you just capitalize every time Hey man, that's a, a solid strategy. I'm going to send uh, this tape over to these guys, though. Uh, make Nadeev some en- enemies. That'd be pretty funny. That's fine. They can't beat my ass contingent on what I saw on Facebook. <laughs> what are they going to do? <laughs> uh, Nadeev spitting some fire. All right, Steve, you got um, any final words before we cut this guy off? He's going to get himself in trouble. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, just, you know, appreciate being on the pod. And uh, we're going to go ahead and see how these picks work out. Man, I, I asked Steve for the words, and Nadeef just took his <laughs> his limelight. My God. <laughs> yeah, and I'm just thankful for being on the pod. And uh, <laughs> like, I'm here. It's the Nadeef show, I guess. I'm here. And uh, next time I'm on the show, I'll be a much richer man from this parlay I'm about to drop. <laughs> See, Steve's making the mistakes. He's not betting on the lower name I, guys. I might I might throw Martin Sano and Nick, Nick Maximoff on there, too. All right, there we go. There we go. Well, uh, Nadi, if you never said, where can the people find your podcast? Uh, they catch it over on YouTube. Um, we place our official bets over on Instagram and Twitter every Saturday morning. At Stats and Stacks? Yep. All righty. Sounds good. Well, uh, thank you guys for listening to our UFC 266 segment. I hope you guys enjoyed the podcast. Steve, Nadi, thank you so much and take care. <laughs>